0: Hello and welcome to You, Me and the Economy, a place for news, views and all that is happening in the arena of finance and economy, curated by the Centre for Financial Accountability. Hello, this episode of You, Me and the Economy is part two of the series produced in collaboration with the Rosa Luxemburg Foundation. In this episode, you'll be listening to Professor Arun Kumar, who's a senior Indian economist and is currently at the Institute for Social Sciences, New Delhi. In this episode, Professor Kumar will elaborate on his understanding of the global financial architecture in the context of the multilateral development institutions, illicit financial flows, and the pandemic. Dr. Kumar will be putting forth his interventions from an Indian political economy context. You know, what I'll be doing is presenting the global financial architecture, multilateral development institutions, and the pandemic. What needs to be done? That's the title of what I'll be presenting. And I've also written recently articles on the Pandora. Papers and the Panama Papers earlier, so I'll bring in the you know the illicit financial flows also as a part of uh, my presentation. Uh, what I want to suggest is that there are wider philosophical underpinnings of policy and the vision of society which underlie uh, all this. Uh, the context in which we are speaking, of course, is the pandemic, which has been uh, referred to, which has impacted national economies, uh, which are uh, really in trouble uh there is also the global tax framework which seems to be undergoing some changes with the proposal for a minimum corporate uh, tax uh the pandora papers have revealed a lot of uh, what happens in the international financial flows uh, which then determine the global financial architecture uh, its political economy dynamics needs to be looked at also and it has been pointed out in this context uh, how the political economy comes in the way of reform of the global financial architecture. Uh, And then of course, uh, as has been suggested, we need to look at the role of multilateral development institutions in this entire framework with a lot of illegal flows that are taking place. Uh, Now, my presentation is based largely on experience of India. Uh, What has happened is that the pandemic has impacted the unorganized sector very dramatically, uh, much more than the organized sector. Uh, The unorganized sector in India is 94% of the employment and 45% of the output. So it really dominates in terms of employment, even if it produces, you know, less than half the GDP of the country. Uh, This sector, the unorganized sector, is characterized by lack of capital. And, uh, you know, uh, because of that, it has been failing. And large number of units are in the threat of closing down. Uh, And that will, you know, impact uh, unemployment in the country. Unemployment has already gone to record levels. Uh, the organized sector is easy to tackle for the government, but the unorganized sector is not. And that's why policy always marginalizes the unorganized sector in India. Uh, what you also see is that policies uh, which are specific to the unorganized sector are required, not the general policies. So the government declares general policies, but those don't really help the unorganized sectors. Uh, there's also a suggestion that the unorganized sector should be formalized. But in my judgment, that's not possible because these units are very small and often they're residual. They're only uh, self-generated employment uh, uh, for large uh, number of people in the unorganized sector. And those the governments are unable to tackle. Uh, The unorganized sector data is not captured. That is a big problem because it doesn't show up in our GDP. And I dare say it might be the case for many other uh, underdeveloped and the developing economies. Uh, what has also happened during the pandemic is that automation has been uh, growing, and that is leading to unemployment, and that also, therefore, uh, propels the growth of the unorganized sector. Uh, so, this is slowing the economic recovery from the pandemic, because the unorganized sector, 94%, if they've lost incomes and employment, then demand becomes short, and that then uh, you know has its own uh, issues with the growth rate of the economy. Uh, The unorganized sector in India has been acting as the reserve army of labor, uh, keeping the organized sector wages also down. Uh, So the unorganized sector, uh, unfortunately, is not captured in our GDP because what happens is that we don't have the data for the unorganized sector except once in five years. So in the interim, it is uh, assumed that the unorganized sector is growing exactly as the rate of the organized sector. And that is incorrect because since at least 2016, the unorganized sector has been declining after demonetization and then the GST that was imposed and then now the pandemic. So we cannot uh, capture the unorganized sector growth by proxying it with the organized sector. That's why my argument has been that actually, you know, the uh, economy has been in recession since 2016, is not growing, even though the government says it's growing. Uh, Even then, the official data shows that for eight quarters before the pandemic, the rate of growth had been coming down from quarterly rate of growth had been coming down from eight percent to three point one percent in the quarter just before the pandemic started. Uh, even the inflation data, as a result of all these problems that I'm pointing to, is uh, not uh, capturing the actual inflation, and therefore the the uh, pockets of the unorganized sector get pinched by the rising inflation, especially in basic items. Uh, and you know uh, what happens is that some of this uh, data that should have been captured is only the organized sector data. Now, uh, the financial sector's grip on the economy is very, very high. And this is something that we need to understand. Uh, The international financial flows are much larger than the world GDP or the trade. And therefore, they're able to control the real economy. Uh, That's why we had the 1% against 99% or the Wall Street against the Main Street uh, movement in 2012, 11, 12, and so on. Uh, the global financial architecture is what enables the international financial flows to take place. Uh, so we need to understand what kind of flows are taking place uh, in this and what the Pandora papers and earlier the Paradise papers and the uh, uh, other papers that have been re- revealed in the last uh, 10 to 12 years, they show that New York City and London are the big centers through which these financial flows take place. There are, of course, 90 tax havens uh, which are utilized for these financial flows to take place. And what has happened uh, increasingly is that capital is highly mobile, and because of its mobility, it is able to extract concessions from each of the national economies. So for instance, if uh, uh, South Korea has 5% capital gains tax, then India also has to offer the same. If the corporate tax rates are low in Southeast Asian economies, then India also has to offer the lower uh, rates of taxes. Uh, the rich elite are the ones who use the tax havens to circumvent policies. Uh, and that has come out in all these Pandora papers and other papers that have come out recently. Uh, in fact, it's quite expensive to hold uh, bank, bank accounts and uh, start shell companies in tax havens. So only the rich can afford that, not the middle classes and the poor people. So basically, this uh, international financial flows are the flows that the rich uh, in the world, they actually do. So, generation of illegal incomes is taking place uh, globally, and they are uh, hidden through the tax havens, because tax havens allow secrecy and low tax rates. A uh, Flight of capital has been taking place from the developing world for the last uh, 70 years. In fact, the amount of uh, capital that has been lost through flight of capital is more than the aid that has come to the developing world since the last 70 years. And this flow has actually benefited the rich nations at the expense of uh, the developing economies. For instance, uh, Raymond Baker in his book points out that you know, when the colonization was ending in the late 40s, that is when the lot of tax havens was set up and they uh, were used to siphon capital out. What was going out as drain of wealth during colonial period was going out as a siphoning out of capital. Now the policymakers who can make a difference to policies, whether it be in the MDBs or whether it be in terms of the rules for the international financial flows, are found to be the ones who are taking advantages of these tax savings and the movement of uh, the the funds. So they are unlikely to to actually put pressure uh, to change this in any dramatic way. So even though OECD and others have been discussing uh, many of the changes that are required in the international financial flows, that doesn't quite happen. So the pressure that has to be brought about on national governments within each nation and uh, globally has to be political pressure within each uh, country. Uh, And when would that happen? That would only happen if the public uh, becomes more conscious of these manipulations of the international financial flows and the illegal financial flows that are taking place globally. Now, uh, let's look at some of the remedies that I've been talking about. Uh, What we have seen as a result uh, of these international financial flows is the race to the bottom that started with the collapse of the USSR and the need of the East European countries for uh, capital so they started cutting their taxes, and that's what led to the race to the bottom with uh, cut in uh, uh, various tax rates, the corporate tax rates and income tax rates. And also using the tax havens and other uh, entities, the base erosion profit shifting has been going on, which has uh, impacted the base of taxation of uh, national governments. And that therefore has impacted the provision of public services on which the poor people uh, depend. Now, the only way one can check this race to the bottom and BEPS is to have global coordination. Without that, it is not possible uh, to actually do it. So the coordinated minimum uh, direct tax rates are required, uh, and that should not be just uh, for corporate profits, but also for tax on capital gains, wealth, and estate duty across nations. So there has to be some degree of coordination on all these if we are to collect more of direct taxes uh, in each of the economies. Uh, the national governments also need to regulate the electronic currencies like Bitcoins, etc., which are coming in not only as transactions uh, for transaction purposes, but also a store of value. There's massive speculation that is going on. A lot of illegal activities are taking place uh, using these uh, electronic currencies. That is going to undermine the system of the international financial flows. Uh, as, as we can see that this speculative activity has uh, raised the value of these uh, Bitcoins and other such currencies Uh, very high. Uh, So what we need is a developing world block, uh, something that we've been suggesting in India since since 1994 when we had the alternative budget. Uh, Also, the use of Tobin tax to check speculative flows across national jurisdictions should be considered because that can help in curbing the rapid movement of capital from one uh, area to the other area. Now, also we need uh, in the financial sector certain remedies, Uh, What is required is that we identify and record the flow of funds into and from tax havens, uh, including rich countries like Delaware in the USA is a tax haven. Uh, So we need to know uh, what kind of fund flows are taking place, uh, whether uh, they're in the tax havens or in the financial centers like London, New York, uh, Singapore, Hong Kong, Dubai, etc. Because these are the ways in which the funds are are moved. Uh, So we need to know where the funds are going and where they're coming from. Uh, We also need to check banking secrecy, both nationally and globally, because banking secrecy is utilized to actually uh, uh, make these uh, financial flows. Uh, And each of the financial institutions uh, should be forced to declare their subsidiaries uh, globally. For instance, when one of the uh, main uh, multinational banks collapsing in 2008, uh, it was found that it had 600 subsidiaries in tax havens. And the recent data from Paradise Papers and uh, Pandora Papers also suggest that these financial institutions have a large number of subsidiaries in tax havens, which enable uh, the flow of uh, international financial flows uh, to take place. Uh, So the the point is that each entity, each such entity, the financial institution, which declares the flow of funds from and to its subsidiaries, uh, that must also be made uh, compulsory. And we need to create national electronic currencies to replace the private ones that are coming up, which are uh, enabling uh, illegality to uh, multiply. Now, what about the multilateral development institutions? Uh, Problems are global and not just of individual nations. So therefore, they need to coordinate action. But will they do it? That's the problem. Uh, Because uh, we need to be freed of the grip of the rich nations uh, by democratizing the functioning of these institutions but these institutions basically represent the interest of international finance capital, and therefore they're unable, unlikely to uh, do that. So uh, this idea that there, there be democratization of these institutions is not likely to take place. The stronger nations would not agree to that, and that's why I think it's not happened. So the only way that pressure can be put is like happened in the case of WTO and the Doha round, that the developing world needs to uh, uh, form a block and coordinate uh, uh, action as a block of uh, nations. Otherwise, each nation doing it individually is unlikely to work. So they they need to act within and outside these development institutions if they are to have any kind of success uh, in this. So what we need is a a change of focus uh, in these institutions. Uh, They have to play the role in a financial crisis that has taken place uh, during the pandemic. And in the current crisis also, we need to play a role similar to what was demanded in the global financial crisis. Uh, So how they can help in raising direct taxes, uh, that is one. Uh, The focus has to shift from fiscal deficit control to the modified primary deficit, uh, which means that the fiscal deficit less all the transfers to the profit earners. That should be the focus rather than fiscal deficit, which is what the credit rating agencies and the international financial institutions are uh, doing. The f- uh, focus on capital account convertibility should not be a goal. Uh, for instance, India has been pressurized earlier in 1996 and 2006 to move towards capital account convertibility. But each time, because we had not done it, uh, we managed to escape the 2007 and the, 2000 and the 1997 crisis that engulfed the world. So this capital account convertibility for the developing world should be uh, something that needs to be thought through properly. And the pressure to give autonomy to central bank, that should be treated as a relative autonomy rather than as an absolute autonomy. Unfortunately, the uh, uh, IMF has been pressing for central bank autonomy uh, to take place. And therefore, if uh, focus has to shift, it needs to shift to employment and social sectors away from the uh, monetary and fiscal policies. And for that, we need to coordinate fiscal and monetary policies Uh, together rather than have monetary policies separately and the fiscal policies separately. And we need to insist on better data on inflation and growth of economies because the central banks look at the inflation targeting and they also look at the growth of the economy. But if the data is incorrect, then, of course, the prescriptions would also be incorrect. Uh, Therefore, we need to suggest reform of the methodology for capturing inflation and growth uh, and especially to capture the unorganized sectors. The fiscal policies targeting employment and social sectors need to be prioritized over other policies so that you know, the nations target employment and not just investment. Uh, we need to suggest, uh, because of the automation and rising unemployment, we need to suggest that the focus should shift to shorter work week and employment sharing uh, in the economies of the each of the countries. Uh, focus on living standards is very important because what we find is that in the Indian context of the living standards of the unorganized sector have been very poor. So the sustainable uh, development goals, uh, if if they are to be achieved, we need to check consumerism. So how do we check consumerism? That is important uh, as a a policy focus. The gig economy needs better regulation. The gig economy is spreading and large number of uh, workers working there are getting exploited. So the better regulation is required. Uh, We need uh, official information exchange platforms so as to lower the degree of monopoly of these uh, new monopolies that are coming up. Minimum wages should be mandated in each nation to enable uh, civilized living conditions. Uh, Focus has to be on the unorganized sector. And we need to suggest policies to bolster the unorganized sector rather than say that we uh, eliminate the unorganized sector. Last but not the least, uh, developing economies are circumscribed by the policies of the multilateral institutions. Uh, This needs to be changed. The current focus needs to change so that democratization uh, is required for that. Weakening of the international financial flows is required for developing nations to regain sovereignty to help their poor. Uh, If that doesn't happen, I don't think policies independently uh, can be pursued. Uh, The flow of funds and trade data uh, it needs to be uh, used to check hawala uh, and the illegal movements of funds and the under and over-invoicing that is used in international trade to move funds. Uh, and we need to put all this in public domain so that people can demand accountability.